0: Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. I think think it's fun to argue, don't you? Come on, come on. If you you like it, I I like it. I like it. I like to argue and um, I I enjoyed it a lot more before I had kids. Um, But uh, I don't know why there was a connection to that, but there is. Uh, I like to argue and um, being, uh, you know, part of, I don't know if it's part of my heritage or my genes or whatever, but uh, I like to be right. uh, And if you can argue really well, uh, you can always be right even when you're wrong. Um, Not necessarily a good trait. Um, But I I think a lot of us like to argue and we like to prove our point. We like to hear ourselves talk We like to uh, uh, show how smart we are. uh, And so we'd like to talk about Or argue about anything, you know, the weather, uh, food, what's better, uh, sports teams, like, it's just fun to talk about all these things, Um, especially, you know, there's this sense that it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, we're just uh, spending time, and uh, it's kind of like meaningless banter, Uh, I know people have used those words. Uh, This morning, we're looking at a passage, and we're in the midst of a section of Scripture, That could be called meaningless banter on one side, and on the other side, it's desperate logic. Desperate. Um, And uh, God is communicating uh, to a group of people uh, in Rome, and He's communicating with them through Paul, desperate logic. Desperate logic, this idea that you you got to get this, you got to get this, this is so important. And and to a group of people that uh, was used to meaningless banner, Uh, this idea that "Ah, I'd love to talk to you, I'd love to share with you my opinions and this, but what about this and what about that? Um, And so that kind of sets up for us this morning God's word. Um, If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you from Romans chapter 3 down through verse 20. God's Word says this, "Uh, Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. Uh, To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Uh, What if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Uh, let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, uh, that you may be justified in your words and, pre, uh, words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Uh, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way, uh, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, uh, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And and why not uh, do evil that good may come? As some slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. What then? Uh, are are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. Uh, for we are already charged. Uh, we we are already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. For we know uh, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. God, thank you for this morning and the blessing of uh, having our youth lead us in worship and Being able to sing praises that you so deserve, even greater uh, than we can sing. God, thank you for your word that you've spoken to us and not left us in the dark. Help us to leave the darkness even now as we hear from your word and rejoice that you have shown us uh, what we need, what we need to walk in the truth. God, thank you for this time. Bless each one here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. So if you are here last week, or, or the, even the week prior, we were talking about this Jewish thing, this Jewish thing where God's people, the Jews, had uh, this special relationship. They knew they were special to God because He told them, uh, because He acknowledged that. And, and that was part of the history, and we see it over and over and over again uh, throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament. And yet... Uh, In Rome, uh, as we look at this Roman church, we've already talked about in Rome, it was an incredible metropolitan city, uh, probably the largest city in the world, maybe up to 4 million people at this time, and just this amazing city, greatest city in the world. And so there were people from all different countries and places and nationalities and cultures, but also a large Jewish population. And as he wrote to this church, he was acknowledging both Jews and Greeks. And now he is focusing on Greeks as their, I'm sorry, as in Jews in their special relationship to God. He has said in the last chapter, we looked at uh, this idea that the Jews are not spiritually with God just because of his special relationship with them, them being a part of Abraham that they're not spiritually right and in right standing with him just because of their birth. So we start off this chapter with, and I bring this meaningless banter because the Jewish people loved uh, to be able to interact and exchange ideas with the rabbi, and it was part of their culture. And so it's written in this way, questioning and these questions meaning to express an opinion. And we come to the place, chapter 3, where it says, so what is the advantage of being a Jew? If your circumcision of chapter 2 is meaningless, maybe being a Jew is meaningless. And and I, I want to tell you that if you look at the history of the Jews um, and you, you look at what's happened in this world to the Jews, you might say, Maybe it's not that great of a deal to be a Jew, right? You know, they were persecuted, talked down upon. Uh, The other nations despised them. They were taken into captivity. Uh, They were, you know, all all this even even from God at times that he was mad at them and he expressed that and shown them in different ways uh, his, I don't want to say abandonment purpose, but like this idea where he was showing them that it's better for them to be close with him. And so they experienced pain. And so you could say, maybe it's not that good of an idea to be a Jew. And this is acknowledged up front in chapter three. What is the advantage of being a Jew? And Paul's asking questions and answering them under the inspiration of God. So just keep that in mind as you we walk through these things. What, then what is the advantage of, uh, what advantage has the Jew? And I just titled this first section here, Jewish, sin- Jewish sinners show the righteousness of God. And uh, these are long because they were complicated. I wanted to be more precise than I was uh, clear, um, simple. Uh, Jewish sinners show the righteousness of God. Uh, what advantage is it uh, of being a Jew? Second question, or what is the value of circumcision? And this idea is that they were, by birth, they were Jews, his special people. And then once they're this special people, even the next step of following him in faith in the uh, circumcision of their children is this idea of um, following him, doing what he says. Verse 2 says this, Paul's answering this much in every way, that it's good to be a Jew, uh, that there's this uh, abundance, uh, it's good to be part of his people. And and this is maybe the struggle for some of you here this morning. We are not; most of us are not uh, Jewish by blood here this morning. But we are as God's people, the church. We have a special relationship like that of the Jews, as being the church. And sometimes we struggle with this idea of saying, "Is it good to be part of the family of God? Is it good to be part of the church?" And then you would list out, well, sometimes I don't like the people at church. You know, they're unkind to me. And maybe sometimes I feel like God is not allowing me the abundance that I could have as a sinner. And you start listing out maybe the things that you go, maybe it'd just be easier to be outside of the family of God. And yet he says, he's reiterating, he's assuring them that much in every way is it good to be God's people. To begin with, he says, verse 2, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The oracles of God is this idea of the revelation or the prophecies, the special knowledge of God. Uh, It's good, uh, if you look at the Old Testament and how God spoke to his people, you see that he was always in communication with them. Uh, That he was using the prophets in the Old Testament and he was speaking to them often. And they were saying, the point being of Paul is saying, look, why is it good to be God's? His special people, the Jews, God spoke to you. He gave those to you, He entrusted you with these words. They're for you. And I think often we take the Word of God for granted, and I say Word of God now, Old and New Testament. And we say, you know, I just don't have much. You know, I feel like my life is empty. And, And and I thought about that, and I go, how can we say our life is empty when we have the Word of God? How can we we say that we don't have much when we have a relationship with God? When God loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus, how can we say that we are empty? We are not empty we are rich. As he's given us his word and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are rich. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Anyways, verse three, what if some were unfaithful, meaning what if some Jews having been spoken to by God, what if they were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? He's doing logic here. This is important logic. Don't You know, some of you are going, I'm more of an emotional kind. I don't like deep thoughts and stuff like that. Hang in there with me, please. It's important. Uh, What he's saying here is that so the Jews, the Jews are God's people. They were given uh, both the oracles of God, meaning God spoke to them. And they, in a lot of ways, took steps of obedience to that. But what if their unfaithfulness, their rejection, even if it was momentary of God, does their unfaithfulness nullify or cross out the faithfulness of God? So God's faithful to them, but they're not faithful back. What happens there? Does that negate uh, or cross out the faithfulness of God? Verse 4, by no means. And this is part of uh, Paul's um, aggressive uh acknowledgement throughout the book of romans he uses this kind of thing he's saying no way uh he's he's being direct he's he's not saying yeah well you know they were used to wishy-washy kind of uh back and forth never coming up with a conclusion and he's going conclusion no way by no means it's not going to happen not a chance He says this, and he'll say it again as we go through the book of Romans, and he says even stronger, he says, Let God be true, though everyone, uh, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, uh, that you may justify in your words and prevail when you are judged. He makes this important point, uses the Old Testament to put it together, that God is true and it is not dependent. It is not dependent. God's faithfulness, his goodness, his truth is not dependent on man at all. Uh, It's not a 50-50 relationship. Uh, God is self-contained in his goodness and his faithfulness to his word, apart from even his chosen people responding. As we see their wrong logic, uh, they are working this out. These Jews are blessed in really in every way. But these Jews came across many times as entitled Jews. Just because of my family name, just because of uh, who I am apart from what I have done, I'm entitled to God's goodness. You see in this section that God is just and man is unrighteous. Um, and and as as we see this, this is hard for us to uh, I'll, I'll move on, but verse 5 it says this: but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Uh that God is unrighteous to inflict the wrath on uh, His wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? L- l- listen to this, listen to this. So Um, man is unrighteous in this case uh, a Jewish person or the Jews in and of themselves they they are unrighteous and God judges God being righteous judges them and and the idea get that word right in there right that's helpful we don't use the word righteous that much uh, since the 80s passed Uh, but uh Just this idea of righteousness, when you think of that, it's being right before God or right uh, in in truth, right? It's it's not this opinion anymore. It's doing and being and thinking, saying what is right. And you have God doing that, but man not doing that. And so when God brings his wrath, his anger, his judgment on unrighteousness, it shows what? His righteousness. Uh, If he was unrighteous too, uh, there would be no need for him to show uh, punishment or wrath upon anyone. He would just be this, uh, you know, nobody cares. I'm just making stuff up. Nothing matters. But when he brings about his punishment, he is showing his righteousness. And and that is a good thing to see his righteousness. Um, If we saw unrighteousness... It's kind of like, if I could say it this way, it's kind of like it, when parents discipline one of their children, it's good for the other children to see, right? Uh, not necessarily to see all the, you know, all the whack, uh, but uh, to know that it happened, to know that it happened, right? They did what was wrong. They did what was wrong, and they received a penalty. Why? That, why that, It trains everybody, right, that righteousness is important. And this is the picture that God shows, and He says it's good. It is a good thing in the Jews' unrighteousness for God to display His righteousness. And He's talking about this in human terms so they can understand, so we can understand. Um, Verse 7, But if through my lie God's truth abounds to His glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why do, uh, do not evil... And why not do evil that good may come? Uh, Bringing back this banter or logic, uh, some Jews would say, and some some of us would say, well, if uh, my unfaithfulness, my doing my own thing, if God's glorified in showing his righteousness, shouldn't I just sin some more? Uh, So that God can be on display better to all those people that they could see how he hates unrighteousness, and I 'm actually an instrument of showing his goodness uh, by sinning a lot. Um, and uh, the point here um, as so, uh, the, the point here is this: that uh, condemnation of this is just, both by the outside world when we act this way, or the Jews act this way, and also condemnation from God. Um, God will not be tricked, right? He will not be used. He will not be manipulated. Uh, we are to follow him in righteousness. We are to walk in holiness. We are to obey his word no matter what. Uh, and we can't uh, twist the logic and say, no, really, it's good that I'm sinning because I'll have a great testimony later. Yeah, No, we're to walk with him today. Jew or uh, or non-Jew, we are to walk with him today. So we see Jewish sinners show the righteousness of God. As we move on, we move on to a passage that many of us know, at least uh, a portion of it, and it is in a very important passage. And it might be a, a challenge to you this morning as we look at this. Uh, and, and this section is all people who think that they are not bad are filthy sinners, are filthy sinners. Are you a sinner? Are you a sinner? Uh, you don't need to respond, but I want, I want yeah. Uh, some of you are going, well, uh, well, you know, not as bad as my husband. <laughs> you know? I see, I, see the, I see those other people over there not like them. <laughs> you know? and um, We have a problem with this. We have a problem with this in our culture. In fact, most counselors you go to, uh, and if you, if you would roll into a counselor's office and they'd say, man, I just feel terrible all the time. I feel guilty and this and that. And they go, oh, it's not that bad. You know, it really really has a lot to do with your parents. <laughs> and I could say that to every one of our kids. And be truthful, like, right? I learned to s- sin from my sinful parents. In fact, at times I felt like they were putting Miracle Grow on my sinful heart by what they did. Um, you know, you go to a counselor and they say, "Oh, you know, you're just not thinking. Pr- it's not that bad. Everybody does it. i figured it out. You're not that bad. That's that's unrealistic guilt. You you shouldn't have felt guilty." You are not a You shouldn't feel guilty about anything. You're just being you. You think about this and you think, uh, what is this? Let's go to the Word of God. I don't want to talk about counselors in this world right now. Uh, verse 9. What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. And so... What we get here is this setup where he talks about Jews. He talks about Jews and he says, wait, if Jews are a mess and they, they are unrighteous by what they have done, they're no better off. And he connects it and he says, now I want to bring in the Greeks back again. And he, sa- he makes it clear, he says, for we already charged first, cha- our first couple of chapters, second chapter mostly, uh, that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin, both are guilty of sin, Jews and Greeks. Doesn't matter your upbringing. Doesn't matter who your parents are. Doesn't matter who your grandparents were and how far back you can tell. You don't have to go to ancestry.com to know that you are connected with a bunch of criminals, right? Uh, you don't need to know that. And that really doesn't impact you much today. Why? Because all are under sin. Uh, this picture of being under being stuck and then he says as it is written and i want to talk to you about that for a moment when you see as it is written it's somehow pointing back to the old testament uh there's a couple of different ways there might be a, many more but the two that i want to talk about this morning are this a direct quote like a a clipping of a portion of the Old Testament that now he's recording in the New Testament, so it's like doubly inspired. I don't know how that can be, but like it was inspired in the Old Testament, but now it's inspired in the New Testament as Paul uses it, as it is written. Or the second way, he says, as it is written, and he just kind of summarizes um, an Old Testament teaching, but even even that, you know, some of it's just too small and it's repeated so many times in the Old Testament, we don't know which verse it's from. And we're going to have some of that uh, this morning. I, I think it's important for you to know this, that the Old Testament and the New Testament agree. <laughs> agree. What's taught in the Old Testament is taught in the New Testament. And what's taught in the New Testament most of the time is in seed form in the Old Testament, right? Maybe not as many details, maybe just alluded to, we'll get back to that later, You know, as if God's saying, this is the beginning part of the story. We're going to catch you up on that in the New Testament history, right, uh, as things unfold. And so that's what he's saying here. And he says, I, I want to talk to you about being under sin, both Jews and Greeks. Old Testament quotes, same teaching more details, okay? We love to talk about the goodness of man. That's not what this passage is about. It's talking about the guilt of man. The guilt of man. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, the guilt of man. So So, we see three sections in, in this in this passage, these quotes being put together line by line, quotes from the Old Testament, teachings from the old testament um, really three sections the the character of man, uh the conversation or the speech of man, and the conduct that somebody put those three c's together so it's, it's supposed to be easy for, easier for you to remember, but most of the time it's not uh the character, the conversation, and then the conduct of man. But the conversation being speech, okay. Um, in the conduct of man, or the character of man, we see this, and this this is taken. Uh, these lines are taken from Psalm chapter fourteen, verses one through three. Don't turn there because we're in Romans, but you just know that that's where he's getting it from. And what he's saying is this teaching of the sinfulness of man was in the Old Testament. But I want to put it together for you here in simple ways that you might see it. And he starts off with this grand one, the one that should be marked in our mind, none is righteous, no, not one. No one is righteous. No, not one. It's this reiteration. Uh, it's not. It's not your mom. It's not your grandmother. It's not your baby. It, it, it's not. Uh, it's not your little boy. It's some of you moms. I just need to tell you, it's not your little boy. It's not. It's not your teenage boy either, right? I mean, you, you want to think everything's perfect. It's not. There's none righteous, and and. I make a joke, but it's not a joke. There's no one that is right with God in and of themselves. None. Not one. We, we want to make this argument that, you know, yeah, I've sinned a few times. You know, but there's people that are much better than me. They haven't sinned, you know, they're not sinful. Not one. It's important. This is an important piece of life for you. When you go out, uh, if you're in school, you should think in the morning, I'm going to go see the other unrighteous people that need Jesus. That should be fixed in your mind. When you're reading about the news and you're thinking of a country that you've uh, you've never visited or you don't know anybody from, what can you know about them? None righteous, not one. Politicians, nobody questions, right? (laughs) Nobody. In fact, some of us connect this and we go, yeah, it makes total sense. None righteous, no, not one. And what this is setting up, what Paul is setting up is this problem of sin. And not just that there's a problem with sin, it's how desperate it is and how pervasive it is. It includes everyone. None righteous, no, not one. And then he goes on to describe this. He gives more detail. That first verse, I think, is kind of an umbrella, if you will. But he he goes on to say, and these are from Psalm 14, as I, I shared with you earlier. No one seeks for God. That's an important one, too, right? Sometimes as we talk about life, we think, we think, in our deadness of sin, you know, I was just seeking for God, and I couldn't find him. I had this desire, but it was like God was hiding from me or running away. No one seeks for God. I want to tell you this it's exciting. If you're seeking for God today, that's the work of God in your life because no one seeks for God apart from Him. It's exciting. I'm sorry, we skipped over one. It says, No one understands. No one understands. This idea that the the confusion of life and the the frustration of living in this world, that there's not an understanding, there's not a one who gets it. None righteous, no one understands, no one seeks after God. And then he uh, describes uh, kind of the state of every man. He says, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Not even one. Did you get it? Boom, 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 right? No one. And, and, and what you're getting is, I think it's six times in this section, no one, no one, no one, no one, no one. And, and you say, well, I, I'm looking for someone. I know. I am too. But there's no one. I'm looking to be that person. I I know you want to be that person. I know you want to think of yourself as that person. But there's no one. No one who seeks for God. Sounds pretty desperate, doesn't it? Because it is. He moves on from the character to the conversation or the speech. He says there, verse 13, and this comes from the Psalms as well. Three different Psalms. Psalm 5, Psalm 140, and Psalm 10. Their throat is an open grave, right? They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, this picture of a a snake of some sort, is uh, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. This idea that the speech, the things that come out of their mouth is just sin, 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 wickedness. And it's not just sin. Uh, Sometimes we we talk about um, words, you know, Words can't hurt or words can't do anything. Uh in this passage right here, it says it's kind of the beginning, uh, the the first beginning or the first uh hearing of what sin is gonna do, right? It's a it's a trumpet, if you will, that sin is a coming. Your mouth, the things that you say. And you can, you know, think about it right now, and you think about at every generation, at every time in your life, the sins that come out of your mouth. And it shows that you're a sinner, right? When you're not speaking, some, some people don't know. And yet when we speak, it shows that there's a problem going on inside of us. Our conversation shows our lostness, right? that we are filthy sinners. The third section is our conduct Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Remember I told you earlier about this idea, as it is written? Well, um, there's a bunch of verses talking about shedding innocent blood, the the feet connected to that, the path of ruin and misery, and... uh, the way of peace not known. There's a bunch of those, but these are probably just general teachings of the Old Testament where Paul was thinking about, um, by the inspiration of God, what, what had gone on in the Old Testament? This is what went on in the Old Testament. What? Shedding shedding blood. Running to shedding of blood. Paths of ruin and misery. Uh, and the way of peace has been rejected. And uh, in, that, in its place has been chaos. And I think that, you know, we can look at the Old Testament and go, there it is. But we can also look at our own life and say, there it is, right? There it is. That uh, marks my life apart from Jesus, apart from Jesus. Um, you look down at verse 19, and this is uh, the conclusion or conclusively knowing that you are a sinner. Verse 19 um, Uh, Now, uh, now we know that whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin, comes knowledge of sin. Let let me explain that to you. So when you think of the Ten Commandments, some some might say, oh, I live by the Ten Commandments. Uh, Good for you. Good for you. Um, But if you really dwell on the Ten Commandments, um, what does that show you? Um, If you really work it out, and you even go to the New Testament teachings in the book of Matthew where Jesus uh, redefines some of these things at its heart, What do you find out? You find out, let me ask you this. If you go through the Ten Commandments and Jesus further teaching in the book of Matthew on those Ten Commandments, do you say, oh man, I'm righteous. What a good boy am I? You know, no. If you really truly understand them, all it points out is what God expected and that you failed. That you failed. And so there 's this sense of guilt that comes from knowing god 's law. Do people who don't know god 's law still feel guilty? Sure sure, right? Why? Because God has made them right It says that in uh, chapter one of the book of Romans it talks about this, this, this whole idea of even people who don't know anything about God. you know they're born in a you know they're born under a rock in the um, i trying to think of places that we don't have people who live there. Um, you know, far, far away, out in the Mojave Desert somewhere, you know, they're talking to their turtles, you know. Uh, if they're born out there and they, they've never had contact with anybody, they'd still feel guilty and you say, that doesn't make sense. I know, but know this, if we're born sinful, if we're born sinful, and even if we don't know, you think, well, if you don't know, no. God, God has has His fingerprints on us, right? Made in the image and likeness of God, right? That we, because of our creation, we know the difference between right and wrong. Even apart from this, but these Jews, what did they know? They knew the law, and what did the law tell them? They were they're honest. I'm a lawbreaker. I know the law, and I know that I am guilty. Some might say, well, I'm trying to be good so that I would be justified. This passage tells us that no one, I want to read it again, okay? Uh, It says, verse 19, now we who know that whatever the law, think of the Ten Commandments there or the whole Testament, says uh, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that, uh, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable so that they can be held accountable because of what they know. Verse 20, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Do you get it? Not one. Not one. And, and this, this idea is, is important. Okay? The, the idea of justified is different than righteousness. And, and this is how it's different. Righteousness just means that you're good. You're good. After being unrighteous, how can you be made right or justified? How can you be made right justified? That's that word, justified. Think about this. Everyone's trying to be justified. Everyone's trying to be right with God. And in this passage, it tells us by being good, by being good, you cannot be made justified, right with God. Very important. So uh, as we look at this, we see we're in a heap of trouble. There's no way out for all of us. Let's close in a word of prayer. No, let's not close in a word of prayer. I don't want to. I don't want to leave you there. Um, what a mess. And the question comes up and should come up for those of us. You, you, we can still fight it. We, we can still fight it. Some of you are fighting it right now. You're going, oh, I'm not that bad. Not that bad. Won't have it. haven't murdered anybody yet. You know, I, 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 I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad. You know, I'm, I'm on the, in the top 10% of goodness. Well, 20 or so, you know, 20%, you know. I haven't failed I want to tell you, you're using your own standard and not the standard of God. Your creator, the only one that matters. Um, We're in a mess. Which brings up the question, how can we be right with God while we are wrong? (laughs) How can we be right with God while we're wrong with God? And you are saying this is getting more desperate the more he talks. I just want to turn the corner here. I want to tell you, Uh, there's a simple problem with a simple and effective solution. Uh, I'm not much of a mechanic. Some of you can say amen right now. Um, And and all of us have had this experience when our car doesn't work. And car doesn't work and we don't know what's wrong with it. And take it in or somebody who knows something and they say, oh, here is your problem. Here's your problem. What is it? It's your battery. Your battery is dead. It's done. You need a new battery. And you say, no, I don't want a new battery. I'll just put some gas in it. I'll put some fresh gas in it. I'll put fancy gas. I'll put the, you know, the $9 a gallon gas and not the $6 a gallon gas. Thank you for laughing. Thank you. You know, we'll laugh until we cry. All right. Okay. Um, we, we look at this and we see a problem of our battery or maybe even our heart, like this idea that this is the problem. And you say, well, I can fix it on my own. I can I can put a little more. I can do this. I can do that. I can do it. I can do it. And I want to tell you that's not the problem. Anything that you can fix is not the problem. There's a simple problem and there's a simple there's one simple effective solution, just one. And when properly assessed, it's true. It, it, it's, it's isolated. This is the problem. It's not that you need better self-esteem. It's not that you need more money. It's not that you need to move out of California. It's not that you need a new husband, wife, Sell your kids on eBay or anything like that. There's nothing else that is wrong at the core of who you are that you can be made right with God. There's only one problem and only one solution. And I just say this, it's Jesus. I want to point out something to you. It's the same as last week. Did you see where Jesus was in this passage? Look down at it. He's not there. (laughs) He's not there. And what does that mean, he's not there? Well, it means that the passage is longer than we want it to be, right? Jesus wasn't in the passage last week, too, and he was pointing out Jews. He was saying, you guys, you're lost. You're lost. This week, he's pointing out to the Jews, but also to all, you're lost. You're lost. This passage ends up with uh, man being unable, but knowing that, uh, unable to uh, be justified in their sin. Uh, they're, they're not justified. They're just knowing that they're sinful. This is how this passage ends. But I want to tell you that this, this passage or this book, the message of this book, is the grace of God shown in the person of Jesus Christ. That he was the one who went to the cross, paid for sins of men, guilty, unrighteous, so that they could be justified, that they could be right with him. Jesus is the only way. If you wanna talk more, I'd love to talk to you about these things. God, thank you for your word this morning, the clarity of it. God, I do pray that you would Help us to get away from that that arguing that we're so used to doing that we would not argue with you when you say uh, you're unrighteous and I'm righteous. God, may we see ourselves as guilty, but know that the solution to our guilt to be justified comes through Jesus that we might rejoice in the redemption that comes. God, thank you for this church. Help us to walk in grace and mercy, and gratitude because of what you've done. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.